Welcome to the Multi-Purpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. Here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. Most of us are familiar with the summer slide, basically learning loss that happens over the summer when students are away from their schoolwork. But what about the pandemic slide? No, that's not a new dance, but rather a unique situation we're facing coming back to school this fall, where students have had either a few months or up to a year and a half of schooling outside of the four walls of their school. This has led to really different learning experiences for each student. For example, some students have had a lot of support with caregivers around them, helping them with their schoolwork. That may be a good thing, or that may mean that they can do less independently. On the flip side, there may be some students who have had absolutely no support, maybe even a little connection with the school, significant stress at home, and learning has fallen way down on the priority list. Assessing where each student is upon a full-time return to school in the fall and how to address these unique situations is completely new territory for our teachers. Today, we'll hear from a former teacher and current ed tech leader about how teachers, administrators, parents, and parent-teacher groups can help support students around the pandemic slide and any learning loss that that has created. Welcome, Chris. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started with Otis? Yeah, definitely. So I was a social studies teacher for 11 years um, outside Chicago. And in my classroom, we had the opportunity to roll out one device for every kid during a pilot. And during this pilot, it became apparent that there was a data inefficiency, data um, inconsistency where data was spread across too many platforms. And I was lucky enough with uh, two other people to found Otis. Um, This was back in 2013. Um, So from 2013 to 2018, I was in the classroom as a seventh and eighth grade social studies teacher while also developing Otis, which is a student performance platform. It provides you the tools to be able to teach, grade, analyze all the information about the kid in a single place, and also plan the next step so you can maximize their learning. Um, So I was a classroom teacher for 11 years. And then in 2018, I left the classroom to pursue Otis full time as we really began to grow quite quickly. Um, In 2018, we saw a increase in one-to-one devices being rolled out in the entire country. And that actually continued, um, as I think a lot of people have seen with the pandemic, you know, with a lot of kids going to a remote setting, that need for a device to be able to deliver learning, to facilitate learning is uh, absolutely essential. And because of that, we've seen great growth in Otis. Um, I don't think anything good has come out of the pandemic. It's forever changed our life. But we have seen education transform to more devices for kids. And with that device, you really do need an online platform to be successful. Um, So that's what brings me here as a former teacher, current co-founder and chief product officer. And then in addition, um, which might be a little relevant is I have four kids. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and then twin three-year-olds. So I'm also in that 
parent community. And what is a little unique about me is I taught in the same district that my kids go to school in and my school district or the district of my kids also use Otis. So I, I kind of see all lenses of the hat here from my daughter as a student to myself as a teacher to also my wife and I as uh, a part of the family community in our district as well. You've got your hands full there with all the different things going on. Um, as a teacher, you are probably pretty familiar with learning gaps and learning loss. And how did you deal with those as a teacher? Yeah, so as a teacher, this was a really big deal for us to be able to, in seventh grade and social studies, we really focused on the ability to read, write, and think critically and independently. And so oftentimes, when we were trying to develop those skills in our students, um, you would want to really have a good understanding of where they are. And so that may, meant you had to be able to really measure their learning. One of the things that is you know, very common is there is something known as a summer slide, where after the long summer, after being in school for nine months, a lot of students might just relax all summer. I think we all need a summer like that after the pandemic, but there could be this learning loss over the summer where some of the gains or momentum that might've been witnessed in November or February or March, all of a sudden, you would all of a sudden see this, you know, backtracking of it when they would come back. So in August and September, oftentimes schools are doing a reevaluation of where, you know, where was this kid in, you know, May and June, right before the summer hit, and where are they now upon returning? So this is something that's definitely um, was addressed, you know, in my classroom, we would often have this um, initial screening, this initial evaluation. In my district, they use something called NWEA, which is a a national assessment to kind of measure what a student is able to do. And in, in our district, we were able to take those in the fall, the winter, and the spring. So you could kind of see that, that uh, slope of growth and it going up and down because um, learning is never just linear. It's always, you know, there's always bumps in the road. Um, so that's something that as a teacher, we definitely dealt with a lot in the, in the past years for sure. And, and this year is a little different, as you mentioned, um, the pandemic hit, and it has really changed the educational system. What has the impact been on the summer slide slash learning loss as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, this is where I think this year has completely changed the dynamic and the entire situation for education. So I'm lucky enough now to um, talk to districts across the country. I really want to make sure that I from listening to them, from learning from districts, they've just been in uncharted waters this entire school year. So what has ended up happening is, you know, as we all know, the pandemic has been, it's been going on for over an entire school year. You know, we were hit, it came out in March of 2020, and all of a sudden we're here in April, or now I can't even believe that looking at my calendar, we're all the way in May of 2021. Um, time, time, we're in this really weird bit of time. Time seems to have frozen, but sped up at the same time. But it's really bridged an entire school year this year, but then also last spring. And so when we look at what is learning loss with the COVID, the pandemic, schools are in this really you know interesting position where there is this unknown of the pandemic of were kids engaged in school? Were you able to have successful rollout of the remote learning or the hybrid learning? But in addition, in the past, what would sometimes happen is I might have a third grade teacher who loved the, the reading lessons that we would have. They loved the writing. 
but they weren't as big into math. So the fourth grade teacher would kind of know that, oh, Mrs. Jones, she loves reading. They're going to come in with really high reading and writing skills, but we're going to have to kind of address those math skills. And you'd kind of have these known patterns you would see with your teachers. You want to have common curriculum. You want to have um, these things, but there's going to be a little bit inconsistency. In addition, you might have a little bit of learning loss, as we mentioned over the summer. But what has really happened this year, which is truly unique and truly, you know, where schools are entering this uncharted territory is each student in their home might have dealt with different things going on where, you know, maybe somebody in their family was dealing with COVID during February, or maybe there was a situation with a job going on that was impacting the home situation. So all of a sudden, we might have a couple students who were not as engaged during a week or two in February or March, whereas we might have another student who was doing great then, but in October, there was something going on for them. There is just such a unique situation and experience for every single kid that we really are going to have to be looking individually at what is happening because next year we're going to come in and the impacts of the COVID situation is going to impact each individual, each family differently. So we're going to have to really assess where everybody is. And one of the big things from talking to the districts that I really think is going to be important is we're going to have to re-engage students. So getting kids back into the schools, getting kids to enjoy school, getting kids to enjoy learning, to see the value, because we're also then gonna have to transition to measuring learning. Where is each kid? Do we need to do a reading evaluation? Do we need to do a math evaluation? Where is each kid so we can really address these gaps in learning, the learning loss that potentially happened, but then also get them back on track with enjoying school, ready to commit, because this is not something we're gonna be able to solve in just a couple of weeks. This is gonna be a serious commitment by families and schools and all stakeholders involved. As a teacher, what tips do you have for other teachers to help with these learning gaps? I think as a teacher, sometimes when you have 25 students in your classroom or maybe even 30, depending on how many you have, it can be really intimidating because you're looking at your students going like, how am I gonna address these learning losses or these gaps? And I think step one is to take a deep breath and understand that we're all gonna do the best we can. And the first step is to get to know your kids. When you really have an understanding of who each child is in your room, you're really able to find that way to connect. If we're able to think and you know take a moment to say, who is our favorite teacher, who really unlocked the potential we have inside all of us. It's typically that teacher who knew you the best. Do what you do best. Get to know the kids. When you get to know your kids, when you get them engaged, you're able to do the action of learning that requires effort. You're able to put in the time and effort to do that. I'll use my son. He's become really obsessed about basketball. Well, okay, maybe I'll have him read the new Steph Curry book. Well, now he's engaged. He wants to read on it. We're working on the skills he needs to work on, being able to measure what is needed. But because I have that investment in the kid, the engagement in the kid, I really think that leads to a much more fruitful opportunity to help them on this path. As I mentioned, that's not going to be a quick two, three week. Oh, we're caught up. This is something that we're going to have to commit to over a much longer period of time. You mentioned both measuring as well as the kind of individualized assessment that needs to happen this year in particular. Does that mean that the standard ways of measuring through some of the assessments are out the window, or is it just that it's going to take a little bit longer and you have to pair those with something else? I'd be curious for your opinion on that. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, this gets into a question about this, like, you know, there's something called, you know, national benchmarking, where you look at something that's given nationally, like a state test, or as I mentioned before, you have like uh, SBAC, which is the Smarter Balanced Assessment, um, or the MWA assessment, or you can get into any, any type of these. And those have their place. I think it's going to be really important that we balance those national assessments to look at some historical trends, this kind of aggregate information to get a pulse at that level. But what I also think is going to be really important is I think that districts are going to have to take time to find out what are the classroom assessments that are going to be beneficial. Those national assessments they should not be considered high stakes, but they feel high stakes to the kids. And one of the things we want to do is we want to have, you might need a day or two around those national assessments, but you don't want to overburden with kids. We could be testing the students for weeks at a time to get all the information we need. But as that would, that would be a deterrent to their ability to actually get back into wanting to learn. And I think one of the things that has to happen is the districts are going to have to find that nice balance. So you might do a national test, but then, okay, let's do like a five-minute check-in with each kid. Be able to focus on a small bit of information, a small skill or two, and then build from there. And again, I think if we're not trying to just capture everything about a kid at once, but if we know we're going to be doing this uh, consistent evaluation of learning, we can make a bigger impact. Because if you all of a sudden understand that, oh, you know, Wesley's all of a sudden missing 10 skills, well, where am I going to start? But if we can focus in on a single skill, okay, we see that we need to focus on this one skill. Let's get that addressed. Now let's move to the next one. I think that there's going to be a much more um, successful approach by districts if they're able to balance the two from these national to these more classroom slash district benchmarks, because you do need to measure, but it doesn't have to be the only thing you do. You know, one of the things that we have talked about in the equity space is creating almost like player cards for each student so that you understand the student at a more individual level so that you can, as a teacher, pass on that player card, if you will, year after year and get that bigger picture of that student, what what um, they're passionate about, what drives them, what their goals are. And it almost feels like creating something like that in this space could actually help with with learning loss using that parallel. It's interesting. Yeah, I feel like you just set me up for like a wiffle ball, you know, grand slam home run right here, because that's exactly (laughs) what Otis does. And it's one of those things where we do need to be able to collect all that information in a single place. And so, as I mentioned, Otis is is really um, the tool on the platform to allow you to do that. Otis allows you to capture that national assessment information alongside the classroom and district benchmark. But in addition, we know that kids are not a single number. As I was talking about my son who became obsessed with basketball, again, we have thing, we have this in profile. It's called the student profile in Otis, where we capture their passions, their interests, their past performance, um, those articulation meetings that happen when you go from third grade to fourth grade or from seventh grade to eighth grade. Those articulation meetings can be really complicated. But if you have that baseball card or in our situation, a comprehensive student profile, looking at 
What type of communication did you have with the family? What are their passions? What are their interests? Um, we have something that lives on with students called their portfolio. So you can then all of a sudden bookmark or star for those that you use Gmail. It's like creating that starred report of, hey, this is their best work in second grade. This is their best work in third grade. Here is their performance on those national assessments over time. You might see those um, up and downs or that steady growth. All of that provides you an opportunity as a teacher, not capturing it in a single articulation meeting, but all of a sudden, after you've had a conversation with that student, after you've talked with them, you open up their profile, you have all their information in one place, you're able to teach them, you're able to facilitate learning by giving them lessons, giving them activities, you're able to measure, measure them, that measurement goes into that same profile, you're able to analyze all this information, and then you're able to plan on what to do next, I want them to do this item, this skill, then I want them to transition here, and the big thing that we want to do, and this kind of gets into why this is so important to have it in a single place, we know we need every stakeholder on the same page. This is something that we need the student understanding where they are. We need the families to understand where they are. But we also need every teacher. We need the math teacher, the ELA teacher, the PE teacher, the art teacher, all understanding the same things about a kid. And then we need that administrator, that principal or the speech pathologist also having that information because in order to really um, to fight or to really handle all of the learning situations that have been impacted by COVID, we got to get on the same page, pushing in the same direction to really help these kids come back from this even stronger. Is there anything in particular that school administrators can do either at the district level or at the principal level to help teachers? Yeah, so I think when I've talked to the districts that we work with, you know, the most successful act that can happen is to have clear communication of the goals. And one of the things that can take place and the districts that I've seen have the most success this year really have understood you can't try to do too much, right? I mean, I think we were thrown some curveballs here and it's idea of like, okay, what's the simple play? Again, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan here throwing out analogies, but what's the, what's the easy thing to do next? You know, let's identify it. And so one the districts who can listen to the teachers understanding, okay, what are the, the struggles, the challenges facing? What do we need to do coming back? And this kind of gets into the conversation we were having a little bit earlier of what type of assessments should we give? This is where if we try to do too much going back to the fall, it's gonna, you're gonna be asking teachers to do, they, they do so much already. It's like, keep it simple so that we can really do that well. Teachers are, and again, I say the word simple and teachers would laugh because I know nothing teachers do is really simple, but to put less on their plates is really, I guess, the way I should have said that. And I think when administrators can go in and say, okay, what are the, you know, the two or three initiatives we should be focusing on? I think a lot of them are focusing on engagement, right? Getting people back to in school, in person, getting back to some, you know, PTO activities where we might be able to have a fundraiser or a fall festival, being able to get people back into the community, getting people back into working together, collaborating. One of the things that happened during remote learning is it almost felt like you're in a silo. You're in your whole Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Meets. You were just in this little bubble that we call, I guess, our world now. And it's like, how do we go back to collaboration, real-time exploration. And I think when administrators are able to have those conversations with their teachers, their teacher leaders, but then also the families involved, it really can make some great successes possible. You know, I know some situations, I work with our PTO here outside the district. It's like, what are you going to do? Some of the traditional things done 
it's, well, we used to do the fall festival. We used to have the book fair. Well, how do you transform that? We used to have, you know, a fundraiser. Well, there's going to be a big need for these communities to understand what are our two or three goals. Some are going to be working on, we got to address the dropout rate. There is a concern the dropout rate might be two or three times more than it has in the past. Well, how are we going to prevent that dropout rate from being there? How can we ensure we get kids back into school? Other districts might be dealing with, you know, some uh, diversity, inclusion, equity situations. Others might be dealing with, you know, resource constraints. We have to really be able to limit what's on our plate, focus on those, you know, two or three things, and then tackle them together. What about families? As we're getting ready to transition to summertime and parents are taking that handoff back to being 100% responsible for schoolwork, what should parents be doing over the summer to make sure that there's no learning loss or learning gap in between? Yeah, so I think, I think you know, parents and families, you know, I know a lot of, you know, their guardians out there looking after their kids. I think it's really important that, you know, you know, hopefully the schools are communicating, like focus on these schools. I really think the biggest things they can be done are focusing on reading. When we really can get kids to be passionate about reading, it sounds so simple, but when they, when they're getting invested into a book, all of a sudden you can have conversations. You're getting into reading comprehension. You're being able to read. You're able to think, hey, this is the book I'm enjoying. Why am I enjoying it? What are the main ideas of this book? How does this book connect to other things that you might have learned? Having this idea of reading be something that's part of your summer routine, I think is extremely valuable. In addition, oftentimes if the districts are sending out some supplemental math material, math is a little harder. I know for me too, I was, even though I was a teacher, they're, they're teaching these new ways of math. So sometimes I have to have my daughter teach me. But one of the things that I think as a family that can be valuable is become invested in the last month here or so of school, find what they're learning about, and then have those conversations and have your kids teach you. Have them teach you the new way to multiply or have them teach you about it. If we can really embed those type of conversations with the idea of making reading part of your routine, I really think that can get us into a place where we enter next fall as a community ready to address all that, all that we face moving forward. You mentioned that you work with a local PTO uh, and thinking of our listeners as PTO and PTA leaders. What can they do next year as we head back to school to help support teachers and the district in what's ahead? Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest um, credit that I give to the PTO, I'm lucky enough, I, I just ride the coattails of them and try to help a little bit. I can't. I think there's been, I think we all, the first couple of weeks when the pandemic hit, it was this idea of like, we have to appreciate the teachers and what they're able to do. And I just think understanding you know, having this um, empathy and sympathy is going to be important moving forward. And I think that goes all around. I think the PTO needs to be able to show these appreciation, but I think it's working closely with the administrators and teachers to help supplement what is the goals of the district. If we can articulate some key goals of, as I mentioned, some of the districts are looking at engagement. Well, if we're trying to get engagement, if we're trying to get kids back to school, just showing up so that we can have them enjoy learning, become part of the community, I think the PTO can serve a great resource there where all of a sudden maybe we have a fall festival or maybe there is some activity that can be put together. If the district is really focusing on maybe they've um, witnessed some literacy gaps, having a fundraiser or a book fair or um, a reading competition or I guess it might, doesn't have to be a competition, but like, you know, a reading um, 
I think they called it, it's like October reading month. It's like having some of those things where you can pull together, make it a community, you know, have these things happen, have a spirit week, get out that gear, get out that swag. So people are rolling in with it, feeling part of it. I really think that in many ways, those family, um, those family groups really can help knit together a closer community. And I think that, you know, teachers and administrators, they've been doing so much. It's just incredible. I think, and same with families, like families have been doing all this in their house, trying to be the guardian and the teaching assistant and all these things. And I think really getting on the same page and then coming up ways to collaborate with it being um, spirit wear or um, certain activities or a fundraiser or just a, a fall festival kickoff. I just think just being there and understanding that it's going to be not just a simple one, two, we're done. It's going to be something that we really have to grow together with is, is really the best step that can happen. That's really helpful. You know, we've been in uncharted waters for a year and a half, and these waters will have changed the way that the educational ship looks by the time we arrive at whatever the new normal is. And so I think your points about being in it all together and just getting re-engaged and helping to support as we enter whatever this new normal is. We know it's not going to be the same as before because a lot has changed in a year and a half, but we can get to a better place together. I think that's really important. In particular, for teachers, I like how you called out using a combination of the national assessments, but also individual understanding Check-ins with the children directly, I think, are really critically important for teachers this year. For the district, keeping it simple and focusing on those couple of goals is really critical. It's going to be hard to do that, I think, because we'll come back and it, there may be an overwhelming number of things that people feel like they need to do. A lot has changed. There will be this pressure to go back to, and I'm doing air quotes, normal but what is that really? We don't know. And this is an opportunity just to push away all that noise. And for the districts, focusing on two to three things, as you mentioned, is great. And then re-engaging those families. The PTAs can really help in that re-engagement and support of those goals. I really like your suggestion of, for example, if the district has a goal of literacy, having a readathon that supports it. If the district has a goal around dropout rates, for example, the PTSAs could come in and they could host events about re-engaging students, supporting um, students who are maybe considering going that route. I think that there's a lot PTAs can do there. And then for the parents who are looking towards this summer wondering, what can I do? Your two suggestions with the first, focusing on reading, always important and getting your kids passionate about reading in whatever subject areas they really enjoy. And the second, having your kids teach you is a great suggestion because they have to really know a subject to be able to teach it to somebody else. So that puts the onus on them to really learn that subject deeply in a way that they can then teach it to the parents. So those were really great suggestions. We've appreciated having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school to subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on this show, we share additional resources on our company blog at www.k12clothing.com. We'll see you next week in the Multipurpose Room.